Stormbreaker by Anthony Horowitz. Chapter 8, Looking for Trouble. Alex saw it the moment he opened his eyes. It would have been obvious to anyone who slept in the bed, but of course nobody had slept in there since Ian Ryder had been killed. It was a triangle of white slipped into a fold in the canopy above the four-poster bed. You had to be lying on your back to see it, like Alex was now. It was out of his reach. He had to balance a chair on the mattress and then stand on a chair to reach it. Wobbling, almost falling, he finally managed to trap it between his fingers and pull it out. It was a square of paper folded twice. Someone had drawn on it a strange design with what looked like a reference number beneath it. There wasn't very much of it, but Alex recognised Ian Ryder's handwriting. What did it mean? He pulled on some clothes, went over to the table and took out the sheet of plain paper. Quickly he wrote a brief message in block capital letters. Found this in Ian Ryder's room. Can you make any sense of it? Then he found his Game Boy, inserted the Nemesis cartridge into the bank, into the back, turned it on and passed the screen over the two sheets of paper, scanning the first his first message and then the design instantaneously. He knew a machine would be would have clicked on in Mrs. Jones' office in London, and a copy copy of the two pages would have scrolled out of the back. Maybe she could work it out. She was, after all, meant to work in intelligence. Finally, Alex turned off the machine, then removed the back and hid the folded paper in a battery compartment. The diagram had to be important. Ian Ryder had hidden it. Maybe it was what had cost his life. There was a knock at the door. door. Alex went over to open it. It was Mr Green who was standing outside still wearing his butler costume. Good morning, Alex said. Grr, Mr. Green gestured as Alex followed his, him back down the corridor and out of the house. He felt relieved to be out in the air, away from the oppressive artworks. As they paused in the front of the fountains, there was a sudden roar of propeller driving cargo plane dipping down over the roof of the house and landed on the runway. If Grigri, Mr Green explained, what, just what I thought, Alex said. They reached the first of the modern buildings and Mr Green pressed his hand against the glass plate next to the door. There was a green glow as his fingerprints were red at the moment. A moment later, the door slid soundlessly open. Everything was different on the other side of the door. From the art and elegance of the main house, Alex could have stepped into the next century. What Long white corridors with metallic <coughs> floors, halogen lights and unnatural chill of air conditioning. Another world. A woman was waiting for them, broad-shouldered and served and severe. Her blonde hair twisted into the tightest of buns. She had a strangely blank, moon-shaped face, wire-framed spectacles, and no makeup apart from a smear of yellow lipstick. She wore a white coat and a frame tag pinned to the top pocket. 
It read Vol. You must be Felix, said she said. Or is it now I understand Alex? <clears throat> yes. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Florine Vol. And uh, she had a thick German accent. You may call me Nadia. She glanced at Mr. Grin. I will take him from here. Mr. Grin nodded and left the building. This way, Vol began to walk. He, we have four blocks here. Block A, we are now, is administration and recreation. Block B is software development. Block C is research and storage. Block D is where the main Stormbreaker assembly line is found. Where's breakfast? Alex asked. You haven't not eaten? I will send you a sandwich. Her sale is very keen for you to begin at once with the experience. She walked like a soldier straight back, her feet in tight black leather shoes wrapping against the floor. Alex followed her through another door and into a bare square room with a chair and a desk and on the desk the first stormbreaker he had ever seen. It was a beautiful machine. iMac might have been the first computer with a real sense of design, but the Stormbreaker had far surpassed it. It was black apart from the white lightning bolt down the side, and the screen could have been a porthole into outer space. Alex sat behind the desk and turned it on. The computer booted itself instantly. A second fork of animated lightning sliced across the screen. There was a swell of clouds and then it burnt in burning red the letters S-E, the logo of Sal Enterprises. Seconds later, the desktop appeared and with icons for math, science, French, every subject that for, there for access. <coughs> Even in those brief seconds, Alex could feel the speed and the power of the computer and Herod Sale was going to put on one in every school in the country. He had to admire the man. It was an incredible gift. I leave you here, Fraulein Vol said. It is better for you, I think, to explore the Stormbreaker on your own. Tonight you will have dinner with Her Sale and you will tell him your feeling. Yeah, I'll tell him my feeling. I will have the I'll have the sandwich sent to you, but I must ask you please not to leave the room. There is, you understand, the security. Whatever you say, Mrs. Vol, Alex said. The woman left. Alex opened one of the programs and for the next three hours lost himself in the state of the art. <coughs> Software of the Stormbreaker. Even when his sandwich arrived, he ignored it, letting it curl up on the plate. He well, he would never have said this schoolwork was fun, but he had to admit that the computer made it lively. The history program brought the Battle of Port Stanley to life with music and video clips, how to extract oxygen from water. The science program did it in front of his eyes. The Stormbreaker even managed to make algebra most bearable, which was more than Mr Donovan. Brooklyn had ever done. The next time Alex looked at his watch, it was one o'clock. He had been in the room for over four hours. He stretched and stood up. Nadia Vol had told him not to leave. 
But if there were any secrets to be found in sale enterprises, he wasn't going to find them here. He walked over to the door and was surprised to find that it opened as he approached. He went out. Into the corridor, there were nobody in sight. Time to move. Block A was administration and recreation. Alex passed a number of offices, then a bank, a blank, white-tiled cafeteria. There were about 40 men and women, all in white coats and identity tags, sitting and talking animatedly over their lunches. He had chosen a good time. Nobody passed him as he continued through a plexiglass walkway into Block B. There were computer screens everywhere, glowing in cramped offices, piled high with papers and printouts, software development. Through to Block C, research, past a library with endless shelves of books and CD-ROMs. Alex ducked behind a shelf as two technicians walked past, talking together. He was out of bounds, on his own, snooping around without any idea of what he was looking for. Trouble, probably. What else could there be to find? He walked softly, casually, down the corridor, heading for the last block. A murmur of voices reached him and he quickly stepped into an alcove, squatting beside a drinking fountain as two men and women walked past, all wearing white coats, arguing about web servers. Overhead, he noticed a security camera swivelling towards him. He made himself as small as he could be, crouching down behind the fountain. The three technicians left the room, the security camera swung away again and he darted forward, keeping well clear of the wide angle lens. Had it seen him? Alex couldn't be sure, but he did know one thing. He was running out of time. Maybe the vol woman would have checked up on him already. Maybe someone would have brought lunch to the empty room. If he was going to find anything, it would have, be, it would have to be soon. He started along the glass passage that joined Block C to Block D, and here at last there was something different. The corridor was split in half with a metal staircase leading down into what must be sort of a basement. And although every building and every door he had seen so far had been labelled, this staircase was blank. The light stopped about halfway down. It was almost as if the stairs were trying not to get themselves noticed. The clang of feet of metal. Alex backtracked to the first door he could find. Fortunately, it opened into a storage closet. He hid inside, watching through the racks as Mr Jin appeared, rising out of the ground like a vampire on a bad day. As the sun hit, hit his dead white face, his scars twitched and he blinked several times before walking off into Block D. What, had been, what he had been doing? Where did the stairs go? Alex slipped off his shoes and, carrying them in his hands, hurried down. His feet made no sound on the metal steps. It was like stepping into a, a morgue. The air conditioning was so strong that he could feel it on his forehead and on his palms of his hands, fast freezing his sweat. He stopped at the bottom of the stairs and put his shoes back on. He was in another long passageway, stretching back under the complex. The way he had come, it led to a single metal door, but there was something very strange. The walls of the passage were unfinished dark brown rock with streaks of what looked zinc or something other metal. The floor was rough and the other way was lit by old-fashioned bulbs hanging on wires. It all reminded him of something, 
something he had very recently seen, but he couldn't remember what. Somehow Alex knew that the door at the end of the passage would be locked. It looked as if it had been locked forever. Like the stairs, it was unlabeled, and it seemed somehow too small to be important. But Mr Grimm had just come up the stairs. There was only one place he could have come from, and that was the other side. The door had to go to somewhere. He reached it and tried the handle. It wouldn't move. He pressed his ear against the metal and listened. Nothing, unless he was imagining it. A sort of throbbing, a pump or something like it. Alex would have given anything to see through the metal. And suddenly, he realised he could. The Game Boy was in his pocket. There were four ca- so there were four cartridges. He took out one called XOZ, X for X-Ray. He reminded himself, now, how did it work? He flicked it on and held it flat against the door, the screen facing him. To his amazement, the screen flickered into life, a tiny, almost opaque window through the metal door. Alex was looking into a large room. There was something tall and barrel-shaped in the middle of it. There were people, ghost-like, mere smudges on the computer screen. They were moving back and forth. Some of them were carrying objects, flat and regular, trays of some sort. There seemed to be a desk to one side, piled with apparatus that he couldn't make out. Alex pressed the brightness control, trying to zoom in. But the room was too big. Everything was too far away. But Smithers had also built in an audio function into the machine. Alex fumbled in his pocket and took out a set of earphones. Still holding the Game Boy against the door, he pressed the wire into the socket and slipped the earphones over his head. He couldn't see. At least he might be able to hear. And sure enough, the voices came through. Faint, faint and disconnected, but audible through the powerful speaker system built into the machine place. We have 24 hours. It's not enough. It's all we have. They come in tonight at 02100. Alex didn't recognise any of the voices. Amplified by the tiny machine, they sounded like a telephone call from abroad on a very bad line. Grim, overseeing the delivery. It's still not enough time. And then they were gone. Alex tried to piece together what he had heard. Something was being delivered. Two hours after midnight, Mr Grim was arranging the delivery. But what? Why? He had just turned off the Game Boy and put it back into his pocket when he heard the scrunch of gravel behind him that told him he was no longer alone. He turned around and found himself facing Nadia Vol. Alex realised that she had tried to sneak up on him. She had known he was down there, here. What are you doing, Alex? She asked. Her voice was poisoned, honey. Nothing, Alex said. I asked you to stay in your room. Yes, but I'd been there all day. I needed to break. And you came down here? I saw the stairs. I thought that might lead to the toilet. There was a long silence <coughs> behind him. Alex could still hear or feel the throbbing of a secret room. Then the woman nodded as if she had deci- decided to accept his story. There is nothing down here, she said. This door leads only to the generator room. Please, she gestured. I will take you back to the main house and later you must prepare for dinner with her sale. He wishes to know your first impressions of the Stormbreaker. Alex walked past her and back up the stairs. He was certain of two things. The first was that Nadia Vol was lying. This was no generator room. She was hiding something from him and perhaps also from Herod's sale. 
and she hadn't believed him either. One of the cameras must have spotted him and she had been sent here to find him. So she knew that he was lying to her. Not a good start. Alex reached, at the, <laughs> Alex reached the staircase and climbed up into the light, feeling the woman's eyes like daggers stabbing into his back.